Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations and book recommendation episodes, as well as insider information on all of the newest releases that I personally endorse and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations or to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. Have you read a book recently that really resonated with you and makes you want to read a book more like it? If so, submit a read-alike request to me through my Google form located in today's show notes and tell me why you loved it, and I will suggest some similar reads on a future Tuesday episode. If you are interested in reading some great books before they publish, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon group to access additional content including early reads and pre-pub author chats and bonus episodes. The link to join is in the show notes. Today, Kelly Hooker returns to chat with me about our favorite books from January through March of 2023. Kelly is an avid reader, reviewer, and bookstagrammer. She works part-time as a speech pathologist in Michigan. She has three young boys and firmly believes that nap time is for novels. She is an audiobook enthusiast and loves hosting book club reads and author events. In addition, Kelly creates seasonal reading guides to help readers pick up the right book at the right time. I always love having Kelly on, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome, Kelly. I am so glad you're back. How are you? Hi, Cindy. I am thrilled to be back and chatting books with you again. I am doing good and more rested than the last time we talked at the end of the year for our wrap-up with this new baby on board. So that's that's been good for me. Well, I can't wait to hear more about that. 
But before we do that, I was just going to introduce the episode that we're doing. So today we're going to talk about January through March 2023, our favorite reads for that time period. And as I have been saying right and left and up and down and everywhere, that there are so many books coming out. So I was curious to see when we put our list together, if that would prove right. And it did. We have 15 books each. Of course, eight of them have overlapped. So we'll explain how we're going to do that. But still, I mean, that's pretty amazing that it was hard to get it down lower than 15. I know. It felt like such a just treasure trove of books to start the year off with. It just felt like one after the other. I was always thinking like, oh, I got to get my hands on this one or this one. Everything just fell into place. And there was just one great book after another. I know. It's really pretty crazy. And as I look ahead to the next quarter, which we're going to talk a little bit about in a minute as well, I feel like April and June are the very same way. I agree. I know we're both probably deep into some of those reads for that time frame, and the the goodness just keeps on coming. I love it. Makes me so happy. Me too. I was recently a guest on another book podcast, Perks of a Book Lover, with hosts Carrie and Amy. And Carrie asked me, does it ever feel like a chore to have to read since it's part of your work? And I was like, it doesn't. Like, I just love to read so much. And to me, it's such a gift to be able to do this with it. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. And I've thought a lot about it since I chatted with her. That is a really interesting question. You know, when it becomes your profession, does it take any of the joy away? And I'm so glad to hear that it doesn't for you. I think I'm just happy that I get to do something that I love so much. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Well, what is new with you since we chatted in December? Well, yeah, my baby's eight months old now, and he has he's kind of settling in a little bit. It's just been a rough road with him. He did not get the memo that he is one of three children, and he just thinks he's the only guy around. So he's been keeping us busy, but I feel like we're finally um, actually sleeping, which turns out makes a, a big difference. And for my reading life, it was so hard to carve out time to sit and read because he was just always awake and crying. And so now I feel like maybe the last month or so, I've really been able to reclaim some of that time for myself. And it feels so, so good to have that back. Well, one of the books I'm going to talk about has to do with insomnia and how your body responds when you're so tired, you can't think straight. And I know you and I talked a number of times and you were like, I just feel so muddled because I can't sleep because Benjamin's up all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I. I purposely didn't read that book, but I will, um, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on it. Well, I'm just glad that he is sleeping better, and I'm sad he didn't get the memo that the third child is supposed to be mellow and just fall in line with the others. I know. That's what they say, but he's just his own guy, so he's definitely kept us on our toes. Well, what is new with you, Cindy? Well, we have a puppy who's keeping us on our toes. We have uh-huh. a golden retriever puppy named Annie. She is 10 weeks old and is into everything, but she's a super cute dog, really sweet. Our older dog is not a fan at all yet. She just keeps looking at us like, what in the world have you done? But I'm hoping she's going to come around. That is so sweet. I'm going to live vicariously through you because we just could not get a dog at this point in time, but she looks so adorable. She's a sweetheart. Our neighbors down the street have four kids under the age of six and three dogs, one of which is a puppy the same age as Annie. And I keep going, how in the world are they doing that? I could have never had a puppy when my kids were that young because it's a lot of similar behavior. You know, Uh it's just like having a toddler. She's into everything. Yeah, I'm sure too with recording with the podcast, like you need her to be 
quiet at times, and that might be a little tricky. Most definitely. The other thing I was super excited about was that I have won four podcast awards since we last talked, which has just really made me so, so happy. That is so exciting. Congratulations. Tell me a little bit more about this. Who hands out these awards? Well, it's one of those things I didn't even know podcast awards existed until I saw somebody posting about them at one point. But there are so many different companies, and it's done different ways. They're all on my website now. But one of them was one that was kind of a crowdsourced one. And I I know I asked people via social media and email, I may not have put it in my podcast, to nominate me. And so that was one of them, CrowdUltra. I was in the top five, and then I ended up winning the one, their, their top one, which I was so pleased about because that was judges versus just nominating. And then the others are companies, and they, they a lot of them will cover not only podcasts, but websites and just kind of all of the world of the internet and streaming. And you enter in categories, and you put in sometimes your best episode or sometimes just the show, and then you hear back from them. And I've been so pleased with the results. It's made me so happy just because this is a labor of love and a lot of work, and it's nice to see the recognition. That's great. That's what I was just going to say. I'm sure it's so just validating to hear your podcast get such good reception and praise and all the good work that you're putting in is really reaping benefits and making a difference. It's made me happy. Well, I'm thrilled because you are now going to join me every other month in Patreon and we're going to have book conversations. We're going to talk about the books we've recently loved, books we didn't love, other book gossip, and then we're going to talk about a particular theme each time. The first one was so much fun and was really well received and I can't wait for our next one. Oh, I am so thankful for this opportunity to be able to chat with you more. It's just one of my favorite things. And I think it's so fun just to talk a little bit off the cuff about books and be able to go on some some fun bookish tangents too that we don't have the opportunity for in the big show. So I'm really looking forward to talking with you more. Me too. I'm so glad you'll be joining me. Well, what are you currently reading? Okay, I just finished right before we hopped on Fifth Avenue Glamour Girl by Renee Rosen. And I also am almost done with The Comeback Summer by Allie Brady. I am loving both of these. They are just like perfect for heading into summer months. It was 19 degrees here in Michigan this morning, so I felt like I was escaping a little bit into my reading with some of these lighter reads. But these were both books that I received through the Patreon Early Reads program that you offer. And just having the opportunity to get these books early as well as talk with the authors, I'm excited for the Renee Rosen chat tonight. I have absolutely loved this program. It has been so much fun. It's been a great way to get to know patrons, put faces with names. But also, almost every single author says, this is the first time I'm getting to talk about this book. And I think that's so special. That's so true. Yeah, just getting authors you know, in before their book has actually published. And they haven't, you know, gotten road weary at all from touring and and chatting about the book. But you're right. Just the first time that they've been able to talk with people about it is so cool. It is. What have you been reading and loving lately? Well, I'm midway through The First Ladies by Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray, which comes out in June. And I loved The Personal Librarian. So I'm really enjoying this one. It's about the relationship between Eleanor Roosevelt and Mary McLeod Bethune. So that one's been really interesting. And then I always read something digitally as well. And I'm reading The Last Lifeboat by Hazel Gaynor, which also comes out in June. I think June is shaping up to be a March in terms of how many good books are coming out. Yeah, especially historical fiction heavy, it seems. But 
books that I'm really looking forward to. I The Victoria Christopher Murray and Marie Benedict book sounds great too. I also love The Personal Librarian. Yes, I think that it is really interesting. I didn't know they had a friendship, so it's fun to get to learn about that. And Hazel Gaynor is one of my favorites, and this is the first book that she is publishing with Berkeley. She'd always been with William Morrow after she switched from self-publishing to traditional publishing, and so now she's moved over to Berkeley. So I'm excited to just see if there's anything different, but so far I'm really, really enjoying it. Interesting. I have not read her before, so I will be curious to see what you think. Yeah, I love her. Her books are some of my favorite historical fiction titles, so I definitely recommend her. Well, I know you and I were talking a little bit about April through June and reading ahead, trying to get ready for summer reading guides and just keep up with what's coming out. Do you have anything in particular that you want to quickly highlight before we dive into January through March? Oh, I sure do. I recently read The Quiet Tenant by Claymont's Michelin, and this was a five-star read for me. It comes out in June. It is a thriller, but more character-driven and very, very tense. It is a story of a woman who is kidnapped and is living in the shed of a serial killer, and he has to move, and he decides to bring her with him. And the story unfolds from there. I don't want to say too much, but I will say that this story is not gory or overly violent. But it is a really fascinating look at the psyche behind a serial killer. And if you liked Notes on an Execution, I think that this book will be right up your alley. I kept seeing people post about this one. I think Mary Weber O'Malley and Pamela Klingerhorn loved it. And so then when you also loved it, I thought, okay, so I asked you, do you think this is one I can read? And I've downloaded it from NetGalley. I'm not going to read it at night, but I'm going to try to read it during the day. Yeah, I think you're going to be okay. I hope I don't lead you in the wrong direction here, but I I think that you're going to be good with it. I'm sure I will be. I trust you. How about you, Cindy? Do you have a book from that same time frame that you have loved? I do. I just recently read Drowning by TJ Newman, and I did not read Falling because Falling came out the same summer that Hostage by Claire McIntosh did. And I thought at the time I could only read so many books about people taking hostages on airplanes. We travel enough that I thought, I'll never travel again if I keep reading these stories, but I'd heard it was very good, but I loved Hostage. So I thought, well, I'll try Drowning, and it was phenomenal. It was a five-star read for me. I passed it to my husband while we were on spring break. He read it in like a day and a half, which never happens. It usually takes him a while, and he was just like, I can't talk. I have to read this book. But it is so well done. It's about a plane that crashes six minutes after takeoff, leaving Hawaii, and obviously the plane goes underwater. And so it's just about what happens. And it's a huge page turner. It's going to be a big summer book. That sounds incredible. And the publisher did like a movie trailer for this book that I saw when they first released it. And I hadn't really seen that yet, like kind of a movie-esque trailer for the book. And it was so well done. And I just cannot wait to get my hands on that book, especially now that you said your husband loved it too. It's fun. You did a little buddy read together. Yes, I finished it. I passed it right to him. And I was like, just drop whatever else you're reading and read this one. And I was so glad you told me about that movie clip because it was really fun to watch. Yeah, I bet. Well, I'm really, really excited for that one. It's a good one. So now we'll dive into today's theme, which is our favorite reads from January through March of 2023. Since we had so many overlaps, we decided that we would take the eight overlaps we had and split them in half. And you'll talk about four and I'll just chime in and I'll talk about four and you'll just chime in, and then we'll go to the rest of our list. Does that sound good? That's perfect. The other thing I didn't mention was that we're going to go in publication date order. 
So why don't you start with the first one that we overlap with, Kelly? All right, I'll start us off with The House of Eve by Sadiqa Johnson. This is such a unique story of motherhood inspired by Sadiqa's grandmother, who was pregnant as a young teenager. The story follows two Black women in 1950s Philadelphia and the way that their lives become forever intertwined with the birth of a baby. Sadiqa Johnson's writing has this unputdownable quality to it, and it's just, it's really understated, but so powerful. And somehow she walks this fine line of covering heavy topics, but she also makes the story so accessible and compelling that I just couldn't wait to get back to it. She draws you into the characters in a way that you just can't help but feel so deeply invested in their lives. I really, really enjoyed the themes of the story, and I think that they're they're so timely, even though this book lands squarely in the historical fiction genre. The role of social class and colorism within the Black community was so fascinating to me, and I thought it raised a lot of good questions about standards of beauty and the worth of a woman that are still so relevant. The novel takes on heavy topics, but Sadiqa handles them with great care. Infertility and infant loss especially are really cornerstone to the story, but Sadiqa doesn't leave us in the depths of despair, and she just gives us just this little glimmer of hope with her writing. I had the opportunity to co-host Sadiqa for our Chapters and Chats book club, and she was such a vibrant person. She just radiated this enthusiasm and positivity. And I loved the way that she was able to talk about the intimate personal connection that she had to the story and her writing process. She also mentioned that her goal as a writer is to educate readers through fiction. And she really makes it a point to honor the stories of Black people, especially women, throughout history. I'm just so appreciative for the work that she's done. And I also can't wait to read The Yellow Wife because I have not read that one yet. That was The House of Eve by Sadiqa Johnson. I love that you had now named your group chats, chapters and chats. (laughs) Yes, it's been a year and a half and now we've got a name, so. (laughs) I love that. Well, I loved that book as well. I felt that she brought 1950s Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. to life while effectively demonstrating what it was like to be a Black woman during that time period. It also has such a fabulous cover. The second that I saw it, I was like, oh, I love her books and I can't wait to read it. And she got gifted the best cover. Yes, she did. And she mentioned too how it was similar to The Yellow Wife, like both of the women have dresses, but it was fun to see how that played out in the different time periods. And she and I talked when she came on my podcast about how it could be either woman that is on the cover for the story of the House of Eve, because it could be this the university behind her, or it could be the house where Ruby has to go, so that it was leaving a little bit of mystery as to who it was. And I also love that she had a little Easter egg from The Yellow Wife in it. That was great, too. I missed the Easter egg because I hadn't read The Yellow Wife, but thankfully, it was a book club chat you know, discussion. And so other people brought that to my attention that she had dropped that in there. So I'm excited to go back and, and see kind of the thread between the two books. Absolutely. The Yellow Wife is a beautiful book, but it is really grim, so just be prepared. Mm -hmm. That's what I've heard. I'll have to make sure my heart's in the right spot. Exactly. Okay, what is your first book? So my first book that we share is Exiles by Jane Harper. In Exiles, Jane Harper returns with her third and probably final book in the Aaron Falk series, Following the Dry and Force of Nature. Exiles can easily be read as a standalone, and I don't think readers will be lost in the story if they haven't read the first two but obviously it provides more backdrop if you have. 
With her signature style and evocative writing, Harper brings South Australia wine country to life when Eric Falk arrives to serve as a godfather to his closest friend's baby son. While there for the christening, Falk, who is a federal investigator, finds himself drawn into both the case of a woman who went missing a year ago during the town's annual wine festival, abandoning her child in the parking lot, and a years-old unsolved murder. As he works to solve both cases, Falk also begins to reevaluate his own life choices. Harper is my favorite mystery writer, and Exile's compelling story and vividly drawn setting permanently cements her in first-place position for me. In early February, my literary salon, Conversations from a Page, had the honor of hosting Jane all the way from Australia as one of only six stops, and it was an absolutely delightful event. She regaled the audience with stories about her writing process and her research trips around Australia. Since the event, so many people have been reaching out to me and telling me that they have sped their way through all of her books and how much they loved them. So that is Exiles by Jane Harper. I loved that book so much too. I loved the wine country Australian setting. I thought that was super unique and such a great getaway. I also loved this audiobook. It's the same narrator that has narrated the other two books in the series, and he's got this great Australian accent that is just so easy to listen to. So this story, I think, was just easy to follow on audio, and the narrator really kept my attention. So that would be a good way to go, too. But I am so um, jealous of your literary salon. How fun to have Jane be a part of that, especially when her tour was so, um, so limited and she made the salon a priority to come. And that is incredible. I was just so excited. It's probably the greatest literary thing I've done. I just loved it. Yeah, I can, I can see why. It's so incredible. Well, what's up next for you? Okay, I have Go as a River by Shelley Reed. And I'm going to gush about this one, even at the risk of overselling it. But I just, I, it just has to happen. If there was ever a book written that captured the essence of what I love most about fiction, it would be Go as a River. This debut by Shelley Reed is truly a modern classic in the making. The story follows Victoria, and she is a 17-year-old girl living in a small Colorado town in the 1950s. Victoria tragically loses her mother, and her days are spent caring for a household of callous men and working the peach farm her family has owned for generations. Victoria becomes enamored with a boy, and a steady sense of foreboding ensues. We follow Victoria over the course of 20 years as she navigates unexpected friendships, deep-rooted sorrow, and grace for the girl she once was. Okay, so let's talk about the writing to start with. This was a book that I decided to annotate with tabs, which I don't always do, but this book just demanded it. The writing was really resonating with me. And you should see my book. It is just tabbed to the absolute max. I knew straight away from the prologue that I had something special on my hands. You can tell with this story that Shelley has a deep appreciation for nature in the way that she describes the Colorado setting and how it was really a piece of Victoria and so essential to who she was. My heart broke and mended a thousand times over, and I just could not get enough. Chapters and Chats is hosting Shelley for an author chat on April 17th, and I can't wait to hear about how this story came to be and more about her debut, because I think she's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she's late 50s, early 60s. I think older than that. I think she's in her 60s. Okay, even better for her then. So this is a five-star read for me, and if you're looking for just a striking story that has that 
like elusive it factor. Let go as a river by Shelley Reed sweep you away. Well, you've pretty much covered everything I would say about it, which is great. But I absolutely love this book. A modern classic is a fabulous way to describe it. Her writing is simply stunning. She has such an incredibly strong sense of place and the ability to bring the natural world to life is really the backbone of the story. But the characters, particularly Victoria, who goes by Tori, and their tales just stole my heart. And I think about this book regularly. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, you put this book on my radar months ago, and I'm so thankful for that because it will be one of my top reads of the year easily. Well, I've told this story over and over again, but I sat in on a Spiegel and Growl, who's the publisher, event in the fall, I think like October, and they were talking about four books they were excited about for spring. And Mary Weber O'Malley was on the call and she was messaging me. And when this book came on and Shelley was talking about it, because the four authors talked about their books, she messaged me separately and said, you must read this immediately. So I interrupted whatever I was already reading, picked this one up and read it and just fell in love. And that's when I told you about it because it is just such a beautiful book. It really is. And I'm just so thrilled that it's getting a lot of buzz, at least on Instagram. And I just hope that more people will pick it up. I agree completely. So that leads me into another book that is also a modern classic, and that is Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. With Little Women as a jumping off point, Napolitano writes an incredibly moving and engrossing family drama centered around the four Padovano sisters and William Waters, the lonely individual with a sad past who becomes intertwined with them and inadvertently threatens to rupture their bond. Each sister has a distinct personality, some more likable than others, but it is William who truly steals the show. Growing up, his parents treated him so poorly, causing him to struggle with mental health issues, but as the story progresses, he finds the inner strength with the help of some loyal friends to find his path and to learn to accept honest and real love into his life. Hello Beautiful is storytelling at its finest, and it portrays life, loss, and love in all its different forms, the beauty and price of love, and the extraordinary power of human connection. This is truly a must-read. Oprah selected it as her 100th book club pick, and I believe that is so well-deserved. The book did start a little slow for me, but once I got into it, I thought it was incredibly compelling. I went to Northwestern, so I love that the book was set there and in Chicago, and I truly loved William and his friends who always have his back. The portrayal of this group of men who majorly show up for each other is something that you don't often see, and that part of the story really touched my heart. But I will say, have tissues at the ready. And that's Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. You described that so well. I had not read Little Women and still haven't, but I I don't know that that's needed to really appreciate the beauty that this story has. It just read so easily. And oftentimes I feel like I'm wanting more propulsive plot over character driven, but this was a case where the characters just really jumped off the page and I was so drawn to them and it was just, it was so well done. I agree about Little Women. It's really just the jumping off point, the four sisters and the family, but it definitely diverges, goes in a lot of different directions. But I think she just used that as kind of the beginning, but you definitely do not have to have read Little Women to read Hello Beautiful or appreciate it either way. Exactly. Next up for me is Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Sutanto. This book was lighthearted, murderous fun. I loved Vera's snappy and zany character so much. 
The story opens with the dead body found in Vera Wong's infamous tea shop in San Francisco's Chinatown. So Vera takes it upon herself to embark on her own investigation to solve this peculiar crime. Vera is this boisterous older woman who blatantly disregards social niceties on her quest to find the truth. Her amateur sleuthing leads her to various suspects who eventually take on an unexpected role in her life. If you enjoyed Cara Romero's antics from How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water by Angie Cruz, I think you're going to be really eager to meet Vera Wong. I came for Vera's quirkiness, but I stayed for the found family and unexpected community that these characters discovered. That was Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Satanto. What did you think of this one, Cindy? Oh, I just loved it. It made me laugh so hard, so often. But also, I loved all of the found family dynamics as well. And after we read this one, you and I were chatting, and you mentioned that you thought Vera reminded you of Carl Romero from How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water. And I would have never thought of that, but it's the perfect analogy. And I just loved that. So that stays with me because that was one of my favorite books of last year. But I thought this one was very well done. It's nice to have a lighter book sometimes, but there's enough depth to it that I still really enjoyed it. That's exactly it for me. Sometimes I don't love a book because it airs on the side of too light, but it just was that perfect balance of that little bit of depth and then just kind of that lighthearted fun too. I agree. What do you have next? My next one is Dust Child by Win Fawn Kwe Mai. In this stunning tale set in 1969, two sisters leave their Vietnamese village in an effort to help their parents pay off debts and travel to Saigon to become bar girls, women who for a fee drink and keep company with American GIs. Against her better judgment, one of them gets involved with Dan, an American helicopter pilot. Many years later, Dan, with his wife Linda, decide to return to Vietnam in an effort to make peace with his past. Meanwhile, Fong, the son of a Vietnamese woman and a Black American soldier, sets out on a journey to locate his parents and find a way to escape Vietnam. Abandoned as a baby, Fong grew up ostracized from his peers, called the dust of life. Kwe Mai's amazing gift is her ability to portray the legacy of war from a very human standpoint. She compels readers to understand the long-lasting effects of conflict on both the land and the thousands upon thousands of people impacted by war. This is a book I won't soon forget. My literary salon just also recently hosted Kwe Mai actually this week for Dust Child, and it was absolutely amazing. She and I became friends when she put out The Mountain Sing in the heart of the pandemic, and she couldn't travel then. So we made plans for her to come to Houston when Dust Child came out, and thankfully those came to fruition. She sang in Vietnamese, read her poetry in both English and Vietnamese, and absolutely wowed the crowd. There was not a dry eye in sight. Her mission is to promote peace and understanding, as well as provide people with the Vietnamese perspective on Vietnam. I learned a lot at our event because we had several Vietnamese people there, and they were discussing the big divide between those from the North and those from the South, and how hard it is to bridge that gap, and also how people who have left often don't want to return to Vietnam. I just found it all absolutely fascinating. Kwe Mai is such a peaceful soul, and if listeners ever have the chance to go see her, it is so worth it. And that is Dust Child by Win Fawn Mai. I saw the pictures that you had from your literary salon with her. And you can almost just feel the warmth that she radiates just from the pictures. She just has, I've chatted with her a little bit on Instagram, just back and forth. And she's been so thankful for the reviews that readers have put out. And I can only imagine that she was a delight in person. 
She is an absolute delight in person. She just has this calm, this presence, and she makes every single person she's talking to feel like they are such a gift to her. I just adored her. It was really so wonderful to get to host her. I love that. And what's so special about this book, too, is it's more than a fictional story for her. This is essentially her life's work. It sounds like for her PhD, she really specialized in this area and actually worked with children to connect them to their biological American fathers who were previously GIs. And I thought that was just such an interesting personal connection that she has and how she's written that into fiction that just educates people and gets people talking is is really great. It is amazing how many children from Vietnam she has connected with their parents or their fathers, really, who were soldiers. And she continues to do that. She gets requests all the time. And she goes way out of her way to help connect people up. It's truly amazing. Yeah, that's so special. We actually had a guy who was the son of a Vietnam vet who came to our event. He drove in from Austin. They had become friends when she wrote The Mountain Scene because he had had all this pain because his father had had such terrible PTSD that it wasn't easy growing up in his household. He had met her in Seattle on the last tour, and then he came to Houston and spoke at our event. It was so touching. Wow. I'm sure that really just brought things full circle as well. Yeah, it was cool. So what's your last one of the ones that we overlap on? Beyond That the Sea by Laura Spence Ash. So I took in Beyond That the Sea as I sat oceanside with the sound of waves lapping at the shore, and it was nothing short of magical. I listened to the audiobook narrated by Elle Potter while I was on vacation in Florida, and it's just one of those books I will always associate with our trip to Anna Maria Island. The story follows 11-year-old B, who was sent from London to America during World War II by her parents to ensure her safety. As B settles into her life with her American family, she navigates having her heart and home in two very different places. This story felt like a fresh new wave of historical fiction. I can't really think of any other story that's quite like it. I will say that this is more of a wartime family drama, but what it lacks in propulsive plot, it makes up for with these really rich characters. World War II really only serves as the backdrop to a timeless love story that spans generations. I loved the way that Laura Spence Ash explored the themes of home and what it means to discover who we are in the broader scheme of the world. I think from seeing some reviews come in, I do think the ending was a little bit polarizing for people. And because of that, I think this would make for a really thought-provoking book club discussion. I just loved this one so much. It was Beyond That the Sea by Laura Spence Ash. I loved this one so much too. It's another one where the writing is just stunning. You could just highlight sentence after sentence because her prose is just so lyrical. You just get swept away by what she's saying. Yeah, and I believe this is a debut. Is that correct? That's right. And she's older as well. Wow, look at these ladies coming out of the woodwork. I love it. I know. And you know, you mentioned the idea of home. And what really stuck with me with this story, it reminded me so much of several other books. It reminded me of Foster by Claire Keegan, where the daughter of a family that's a pretty unhappy home life goes and stays with her aunt and uncle, where she's cherished and it's so peaceful. And she kind of, it opens her eyes to a whole nother world. And she has a lot of trouble then going back. And then also News of the World, where the girl ends up living with Native Americans, and then she's returned to her family, but she can't ever totally find peace. 
And then Jennifer Rosner has a new book, Once We Were Home, about Jewish children during World War II who were sent to live with Catholic and Protestant families, and then how difficult it was for them after the war to go back to their old life as well, or really a new life for some of them because their parents were gone. But just this idea of your life getting interrupted as a child and experiencing something else and then never quite feeling settled in the world again. Yeah, I think it's hard enough to find your identity growing up, even in just like a healthy, well-adjusted environment, non-wartime. And so when you add these other complicating factors into the mix, that just makes it even harder. And I didn't know that children had come over to the U.S. during World War II as well. Did you? No, that was new to me as well, just kind of like a, a foster family situation. And what a hard decision as a parent to make and to be separated from from your child. And I remember the mother in this story thinking that she was doing the best for her child and just keeping her safe and getting her out of harm's way, but then also not fully appreciating at the time the sacrifice it was going to to be for her as a parent to miss out on her child's early years. Well, and you're across the ocean versus, you know, a lot of people sent their kids into the outskirts of the UK, into the countryside. So it was easy to take a two-hour train ride and go visit them, but you can't really take a boat across the ocean. And nobody anticipated the war would last so long. But I did ask Laura about it when I interviewed her because I was like, I've never heard of this. And she said, well, it didn't last very long because then that boat was torpedoed by the Germans and a whole ship of children that were traveling across the ocean perished. And so they stopped doing it after that. So it didn't last for long. I can see how that would put an end to things. That's awful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, well, what is your final book that we have overlap on? It's The Mostly True Story of Tanner and Louise by Colleen Oakley, which is another one of my must-read, I know will be favorites of the year books. This not-to-be-miss gem stars 21-year-old college dropout Tanner Quimby and 84-year-old Louise Wilt, who are thrown together when Louise's family decides she needs a live-in caregiver and Tanner's family decides she needs to quit feeling so sorry for herself. The two purposely ignore each other initially, but Tanner begins to realize that something is amiss. The news keeps airing updates to an old jewelry heist, and the wanted suspect looks a lot like Louise, and Louise keeps her garden shed under heavy lock and key. Then one evening, Louise wakes Tanner up and insists that they leave immediately, in a car Tanner didn't even know existed, and they head out across the country. Over the course of their adventure, the two women begin to develop a friendship. Interspersed with the regular narrative are hilarious text exchanges between Louise's children, interviews with the FBI, and more, which add a highly entertaining element to an already engaging story. This book is delightful from page one, and combined with the stellar ending, makes this one of my favorite books of 2023. I wish I could take a road trip with Tanner and Louise. This was the first book that I could actually finish after my dad died in September. I had picked up and put down so many stories that just were not pulling me in. And finally, when I started this one, I was all in. I even messaged Colleen afterwards to tell her how much that meant to me. My Patreon group read this as part of my early reads program, and it was a huge hit with them as well. She told some great stories about how different parts of the book came about and her personal connection to them. So this is the mostly true story of Tanner and Louise by Colleen Oakley. I loved this one as well. I was messaging Colleen on Instagram and just congratulating her on such a well-received release. And she just said, I, I think my grandma would be so proud because Luis was inspired by aspects of her own grandmother. And I think that's right. It's just so touching. And what a special 
special tribute to her own family. And I feel like this book has been everywhere since it came out on Tuesday. Yeah, I think, again, this is one of those lighthearted reads that just fit that perfect, you know, void for me of what I was looking for at the time. I wanted something light, but not too light. And there's aspects of mystery woven into this one. And I loved the intergenerational friendship aspect and just reminding readers that when we open ourselves up to new opportunities and new people and experiences, how full and rich our lives can be. I agree. That's a wonderful way to word it. So now we're going to dive into the ones that we have separately. So we'll do those again in publication order starting back in January. So what is your first book on your list? My first book is What Lies in the Woods by Kate Alice Marshall. And unlike my last read at the beach, I read this book in the dead of Michigan winter when I was in the mood for a little thrill. And so this one really delivered. So here's how Goodreads describes the story. They were 11 when they sent a killer to prison. They were heroes, but they were liars. So this was such a solid premise. The story follows three girls who are 11, and they go into the woods, and not everybody emerges, and they put this killer away. Later on, we circle back to the girls as they're a little bit older, and they're really wrestling with, did we do the right thing? Are we certain that the right person is behind bars? And so I thought those questions were really interesting. This was more of a character-driven mystery than a propulsive like page-turner, but it was really well done. And this is one of those stories where the woods were so atmospheric. It had this like mysterious intrigue, and so they felt like a character in their own right. So what I loved about this story is that it wasn't just a popcorn thriller. And don't get me wrong, I do love a popcorn thriller from time to time, but it did take on some of these heavier themes. And I found the way that it portrayed childhood trauma and how its looming shadow can permeate adulthood really thoughtfully done. What Lies in the Woods had me considering the magic of childhood and also the unreliability of our memories as we age. Cindy, I know that you're so good at predicting the endings, and I'm definitely not, but still, I didn't see the ending coming here. There were so many twists and turns, and the conclusion was satisfying and clever, but in a plausible way. And I also have to mention the audiobook narration by Carissa Vacker, which was superb. She's quickly becoming one of my favorite friends to have in my ears. Uh, I just find her really easy to listen to. So that was What Lies in the Woods by Kate Alice Marshall. After you raved about this one on Instagram, I grabbed it off of NetGalley. I haven't read it yet, but I do want to. Oh, good. I'll be curious to see what you think. So my first one is a thriller as well. It's All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham. One year ago, Isabel Drake's life changed forever. Her toddler son, Mason, was taken out of his crib in the middle of the night while she and her husband were asleep in the next room. With little evidence and few leads for the police to chase, the case went quickly cold. However, Isabel cannot rest until Mason is returned to her, literally. Except for the occasional catnap or small blackout where she loses track of time, she hasn't slept in a year. Isabel's entire existence now revolves around finding him, but she knows she can't go on this way forever. In hopes of jarring loose a new witness or buried clue, she agrees to be interviewed by a true crime podcaster. But his interest in Isabel's past makes her nervous. His incessant questioning, paired with her severe insomnia, has brought up uncomfortable memories from her own childhood, making Isabel start to doubt her recollection of the night of Mason's disappearance, as well as second-guess who she can trust, including herself. 
but she is determined to figure out the truth, no matter where it leads. All the Dangerous Things is an easy read with lots of clever twists and turns, and I loved Willingham's commentary on our culture's obsession with true crime. That aspect of the book is very thought-provoking and something I have wondered about myself frequently. How something that is so personal and awful for a real human being becomes the obsession of all of these random people who seem to forget that it is really happening to someone. She also highlights the effects of insomnia. I love that the main character struggled from a lack of sleep versus having a drinking or drug problem because that type of unreliable character is so overdone and annoying. I often can predict endings, as you mentioned, Kelly, but I did not in this one, and I felt like it was really, really well done. I got to the end and thought this is a very satisfying thriller. Clear your schedule, because once you pick it up, you won't want to put it down, and that's All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham. So this is the book that I intend to read, but purposely didn't read yet, because I felt like it was just... Too, too close to reality for me. I was severely sleep deprived for a good seven months and now I'm like just emerging from that, but it just felt like too soon for me. But I do plan to read this one. Well, and on top of that, it has to do with a young child going missing and your children are young. I could not read that type of stuff when my kids were young. Yeah, I believe, you know, with it being a young son, I think the age of the boy in the book is the age of one of my boys. And so it just felt like a little too much, but I think a little further down the road, I will plan to read it. I thought it was very well done. Okay, next up for me is On the Savage Side by Tiffany McDaniel. Okay, please hear me when I say this. On the Savage Side is not a book for everyone. Cindy, do not read this. (laughs) I do not plan to. I keep hearing that over and over again. And so I'm like, I'm so happy everybody else is reading, enjoying this, but this is not my book. Nope, stay away. So it is one of the darkest yet most beautifully written stories I have ever read. So this is based on the true story of the Chillicothe murders in a small Ohio town, which is crippled by opioid addiction. While local authorities turned a blind eye, many women with addiction and involved in prostitution went missing or were found dead in the river. No major investigations ever took place because of who the victims were in society. It was almost like they were invisible. So this story follows twin sisters, Ark and Daffy, as they experience a really bleak childhood and young adulthood. The book is more about these characters than it is about solving the mystery of the girls. So it's not a mystery thriller. It's very character-driven and literary. The rawness and heartbreak of addiction is on full display. I was so deeply invested in the girls' struggles, and I just couldn't tear myself away from the brokenness that they experienced. Tiffany McDaniel is from Ohio herself, and she just makes this searing point that these girls were somebody's beloved daughter and worthy of not only a proper investigation, but love and compassion. And she just gives them back the humanity that was stripped from them. Like you were saying with the fascination of true crime and how that's portrayed in the media, she just makes this so beautiful and reminds us that these women are people. As with her debut novel, Betty, Tiffany McDaniel creates this stark juxtaposition of deeply disturbing content paired with the most lyrical prose. So it's so interesting the way that she has this kind of style. There's not anything really like it. I was simultaneously in awe of the poetic writing 
and also extremely unsettled by so many aspects of this story. You can pretty much name any trigger warning and you'll likely find it here within these pages, so please be aware of that. So I do think it's important to note that the book isn't traumatic or gratuitous just for the sake of shock value. McDaniel really has a clear purpose and a thoughtful message with what she's trying to do. And she raises some really important questions about those people our society values and the vulnerable people that are overlooked. In the book, there's some really interesting visual details. Like there's a picture of the river, which plays prominently, and there's um, some autopsy drawings and kind of paperwork that are included. So I definitely recommend picking up the physical copy over the audiobook. That was On the Savage Side by Tiffany McDaniel. I've seen a fair amount about this one, and it seems like it is resonating with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But again, know yourself. And if this doesn't sound like something for you, it's probably not. (laughs) Yes, I get that. I know it's not for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what was next for you? So mine is Better the Blood by Michael Bennett. Hannah Westerman is a tenacious Maori detective juggling single motherhood and the pressures of her career in Auckland's Central Investigation Branch. When she's led to a crime scene by a mysterious video, she discovers a man hanging in a secret room. As Hannah and her team work to track down the killer, other details lead her to think that they are searching for New Zealand's first serial killer. With little to go on, Hannah must use all of her experience as a police officer to try and find a motive to these apparently unrelated murders. What she eventually discovers is a link to a historic crime that leads back to the brutal, bloody colonization of New Zealand. When the pursuit becomes frighteningly personal, Hannah realizes that her heritage and knowledge are their only keys to finding the killer. But as the murders continue, it seems that the killer's agenda of revenge may include Hannah and her family. Bennett, who is Maori, writes an absolutely thrilling and riveting novel, which is the start to a new series. I could not stop reading it once I started. It's set in contemporary New Zealand, but rooted deeply within Maori history. And Better the Blood highlights how past trauma bleed into the present. The book captivates while throwing a light on New Zealand's dark and troubled history. Auckland is a place of beauty that barely acknowledges the enormous levels of blood that lie beneath the sand. The stellar characterization of Hana is a major highlight. She is damaged by her experience of being a Maori police officer, used, abused, and manipulated. She is merely the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the pain, sorrow, and suffering endured by the Maori community, past and present. I am still thinking about this one months later. And that is Better the Blood by Michael Bennett. This is a book that I really haven't seen around much at all. I feel like it's kind of flown under the radar a little bit. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but um, at least for me, I haven't seen it much, but it sounds so interesting. I agree with that. And I haven't even posted about it. I've been bad lately about getting all of my reviews up. I went on Houston Life in January, and it was one of the five books I highlighted there. So I did publicize it that way. And I know people have picked it up and enjoyed it but I still need to post about it. I have not seen much about it, especially on Instagram. Yeah. And I think the New Zealand setting is really interesting and kind of distinctive too. I was just trying to rack my brain and think about any other books that I had read in New Zealand, and I don't know that I can think of any. So definitely one to to look for. Absolutely. Next up for me is The Housemaid's Secret by Frida McFadden. And this is a second book in the Housemaid series. So I'm going to be talking about some really layered thrillers, but this is not one of them. (laughs) It's just pure popcorn, and sometimes we need that in our reading life. 
This just came out in February, but it already has over 50,000 Goodreads ratings and reviews with a 4.37 rating. That just blew my mind how many people picked this up so quickly. That's amazing. I know. I'm like, am I looking at this right? But I do think it might have come out in the UK a little bit earlier, but not much. So after reading some heavier literary fiction, I just needed a fast-paced story that I could fly through. And this really did it for me. The pages practically turned themselves. The story follows Millie, who, as the title implies, is a housemaid for a wealthy couple who live in a penthouse. She is instructed by the husband not to go into the guest room as his wife is very ill. Something seems suspicious to Millie, and then the story unfolds from there. So as with the first book, The Housemaid, this is not a literary masterpiece, um, like with writing that needs to be savored or anything like that, but it is the ultimate page-turning palette cleanser, and it just goes down so easy. I will say that Millie makes some very questionable decisions and she drives me a little bit crazy. <laughs> At times I'm like, girl, what what are you doing? Don't, don't do, don't go in there. Don't do that. But she just pushes the limits a little bit. But because of that, that's kind of in part what makes it such an entertaining reading experience. If she was making smart choices, it probably wouldn't be as fun. So this is the second book in a series. And I definitely would recommend picking up The Housemaid before you read this one because there are some spoilers in there. They are both really quick reads. Frida McFadden has clever twists and turns that will keep you guessing, and I think the less you know about this book going into it, the better. I'd highly recommend doing a buddy read because it is so fun to share theories and speculations with somebody as you go along. Frida has a huge backlist, and I think it would be really great to work my way through more of these books. If you're in the mood for a quick thrill, I'd highly recommend The Housemaid's Secret by Frida McFadden. Okay, that's fascinating to me that she has a huge backlist. I don't remember ever hearing her name till these two books that you're talking about now. Yeah, I think she is maybe like a Kindle Unlimited star. She's got a lot of books on KU that people really binge and gravitate towards. So I think that's kind of where she's found her niche. I don't have Kindle Unlimited, but I know a lot of people do. And I think that's kind of what has gotten people started. Got it. Okay. That explains it because I don't have Kindle Unlimited either. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's next for you? So my next one is The Keeper of Stories by Sally Page. Cleaner Janice knows that it is in people's stories that you really get to know them. From recently widowed Fiona and her son Adam to opera singing Jordy and the awful Mrs. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah and her fox terrier, Janice has a unique insight into the community around her. When Janice starts cleaning for Mrs. B, a shrewd woman in her 90s, she finally meets someone who wants to hear her story. But Janice feels she doesn't have a story to share. Mrs. B is no fool and knows there's more to Janice than meets the eye. Janice doesn't believe she deserves her own story, but as the book progresses, she slowly understands that everyone definitely has a story. This is a novel that starts in one place and takes you somewhere else entirely, with several layers to the storytelling, going deeper than you expect at the beginning. I loved every minute of it, it's heartbreaking and heartwarming and very hard to put down. It includes so many themes that I enjoy. Intergenerational relationships, the importance of community, how stories can change our lives, humor, and more. And there's the best dog ever in the book. He's a true standout with a great personality given to him by Janice. There is a trigger warning in the book, but I don't want to spoil it for anyone. So please feel free to reach out to me if you want to know more. And that is The Keeper of Stories by Sally Page. That sounds really sweet. And I know that you are 
like a dog book connoisseur. I feel like you always have a good idea of the dog books around. And so if this is like top of the line for you, that's saying a lot. It's just a beautiful story. And as I mentioned, you don't think it's necessarily going to go as deep as it does, but it really does delve into some important issues. And you just finish and you want to hug the book. I love that. And this is another one that I really haven't seen around too much, but it is on my TBR and I'd love for people to to pick it up. It sounds good to them because I do think it's maybe an underrated gem. And it's a debut novel for her as well. And she's older. Wow. That's so great. It's becoming a theme of our talk. It really is. Maybe it's a sign for you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. My next book is It's One of Us by J.T. Ellison. This is a book that I would classify as a thriller plus. The premise was really great, but it also broaches some serious topics. The story follows Olivia and Park, and they are a young married couple navigating infertility. One day, police show up to investigate a murder, and they say that DNA evidence confirms that a child of Park's is the primary suspect in the murder. So, of course, Olivia is baffled because, to her knowledge, Park has no children, And then the unraveling of so many secrets ensues. J.T. Ellison raises some really interesting questions about nature versus nurture that I think would make for a fantastic book club discussion. And again, it's important to know that infertility is a major part of the plot, but it is handled with great care and sensitivity. The author included a really heartfelt author's note where she shares her own personal experience with infertility and how she drew from that experience to shape Olivia's character as a mom desperate for a child. And that intimacy really came through in the story. Julia Whelan narrates the audiobook, and she just really knocks it out of the park here. I love her, and this is top-notch for her. And that was It's One of Us by J.T. Ellison. Julia Whelan must just be narrating books around the clock. (laughs) It really seems like that. She's a busy lady. She is a busy lady. I have read an earlier book of J.T. Ellison's and really enjoyed it, but I didn't read this one. Yeah, I can can see how it might be tough for some readers, but I thought it was really worthwhile. Good. That's great to know. My next one is Time's Undoing by Cheryl A. Head. This historical mystery is a dual timeline story that focuses on 1929 Birmingham, known then as Magic City, during its heyday as a steel supplier. Master carpenter Robert Lee Harrington relocates his family to Birmingham for a job, and with its booming economy, the city is a great place to live, except for the fact that the clan is very active there. In the 2019 timeline, Robert's great-granddaughter, Megan McKenzie, the youngest reporter at the Detroit Free Press, becomes interested in his murder and why his body was never found. She travels to Birmingham to investigate, stirring up secrets that have long been buried and that someone does not want uncovered. Time's Undoing is a deeply absorbing and intricately woven story of racial injustice and the healing power of truth. It confronts the issue of police brutality on an epic scale of decades and generations while preserving the intimate human detail that gives the novel its heart. This is a quick, timely, and satisfying read that mirrors events from yesteryear and today's headlines, causing us to question if times have really changed. As a side note, I loved learning more about Birmingham and Detroit and the ways in which they are similar. I would definitely recommend this one for book clubs, as it will no doubt spark great conversation around pertinent matters. And that is Time's Undoing by Cheryl A. Head. That one sounds great. And I'm surprised you didn't mention the cover because I love it so much. It's just like this 
tree and it's distinctive and I don't know, really, it's like a work of art. And I love that. I can't wait to pick this one up. I should have mentioned it because the cover is stunning. And I just also love that it was a historical mystery, not just historical fiction, but really centered around this mystery based on her own family's history that actually did happen to her great-grandfather in Birmingham. And so I thought that that was interesting that she chose to to take the story and turn it into something and see where it took her. Definitely. I love that personal connection. You can just tell that authors are so invested in their work because it's part of them. And I can't wait to pick this one up. Yes, it's really worth it. What's up next for you? Next for me is Stash, My Life in Hiding by Laura Cathcart Robbins. Laura is an affluent Black woman living in LA, and this is her memoir that recounts her addiction to prescription medications, as well as her divorce that served as the catalyst to her time in rehab. The most interesting aspect of this memoir was the way that Laura spoke candidly about the intersection of race and privilege. She's really transparent about the ways in which her wealth afforded her opportunities for rehab that others might not have. Getting a window into her experience being a Black woman married to a white man in Los Angeles was also really interesting. And it's truly amazing to me that Laura was able to operate at such a high level in her personal life as a mom and a friend and a wife as she battled this addiction because it was really kind of swept under the rug and not not known to to the extent, um, even by our closest friends and husband. I appreciated Laura's introspection as she was able to view her decisions through the lens of somebody who is a little bit more removed from the situation. I kept thinking about Matthew Perry's memoir on his addiction, and that one almost felt a little bit premature since he he really is still kind of in the thick of that um, lifelong battle. Whereas Laura is five years removed, and so I think it just had a different lens, which was interesting. I will say that Laura's memoir wrapped up quite neatly, and while I hope this is true for her life, I would have loved to hear more about her time after rehab and kind of how that plays out, but maybe she'll write something else. So I definitely recommend the audiobook as Laura narrates it herself, and I just loved hearing her story directly from her. That was Stash, My Life in Hiding by Laura Cathcart Robbins. That almost made my list. I really liked that book. Another stunning cover. I interviewed her and she and I talked at length about the cover and how they had started going a different direction. She didn't like it at all. Shirley wanted to make sure that it indicated it was a black woman. So she has her hand with the the beautiful diamond to show the privilege, all the pills. I just thought that the cover was so representative of that story. And I loved interviewing her. She is delightful. And it was just so interesting to talk about her experience and her writing of the book. I love that you always ask about the cover because I feel like a lot of people in interviews don't often go that direction, but you're now that you point those specific aspects about the cover out, that is so interesting how intentional they were. And yeah, they included it all. I agree. And they had gone in a totally different direction initially. And she was like, no, no, no. And they really had to keep working through it. And that's the other thing I find fascinating about the cover conversations is that so often They start one way and they end up a totally different direction. And you read the book and then you look at the cover and you think, this cover really is the perfect cover for this story that's inside. Mm -hmm. That's so true. So the next one for me is The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell. And talk about a cover. This is probably my favorite cover of 2023 so far. It's just stunning. There's something about it. Every time I see it, it just makes me smile. So the creative concept of this book drew me right in. A dead body 
found during the filming of a highly rated baking show set at Grafton, a historical mansion in rural Vermont, and the main host's childhood home. For the 10th season of Bake Week, host Betsy Martin is less than thrilled to be sharing the spotlight with cutting board host Archie Morris while filming the episodes at her own home. When small things start going awry on day one, like salt replacing sugar in a canister, no one thinks twice about it. But when a dead body is found, the contestants realize that something more sinister is at play. Told from the points of view of the various contestants and Betsy, The Golden Spoon is a delightful mystery set in the world of baking competitions with an Agatha Christie vibe. The book is already being made into a limited series on Hulu and will lend itself so well to the screen. The alternating points of view worked very well for this story and helped me get to know the various characters. I am not really a baking show person, but I really enjoyed this book focused on one and all of the behind the scenes shenanigans. And that is The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell. This sounds so fun. I haven't read it yet, but I didn't realize it was going to be a series too. That's great. Yes, I think it will really do well on TV as a Hulu series because it felt so cinematic as I was reading it. And so to hear that it's actually being made into a show, I think is perfect. That's great. What's up next for you, Kelly? Next for me is Poverty by America by Matthew Desmond. Matthew Desmond is the author of Evicted, which is a really comprehensive look into the housing crisis in America, which came out in 2016. So in his latest nonfiction book, Matthew Desmond presents an intriguing argument into why poverty in America exists and how the rest of us reap the benefits. He dives deep into the question of why the U.S., the richest country on earth, has more poverty than any other advanced democracy. And he asks the question, why does this land of plenty allow one in every eight of its children to go without basic necessities? What I loved most about this book is the way that Matthew's points extend beyond race because he brings up some compelling information regarding poverty within the black community as well as the white community and how they differ but are essentially the same. It extends beyond political parties as well. He holds no punches as he points the blame at Democrats and Republicans for their failure to bring about meaningful change. He encourages readers to be poverty abolitionists and actively fighting against the exploitation of the poor and giving each American the right to a decent existence. Desmond outlines so many tangible steps that can be taken at the national level, as well as right down to our individual households that could help alleviate the poverty situation. I thought the ideas that he presented were incredibly innovative and creative, but also actionable. Yes, this is a really huge problem, but his confidence that we can work to solve this issue was really encouraging too. I listened to the audiobook and it was a super quick listen. I think it was less than six hours. It was such an enlightening read that I would like to actually purchase a physical copy for my shelves and highlight some of his ideas because he just illuminates some of these issues that seem really abstract, but he brings them down and talks about them in a way that is super interesting and accessible. And that was Poverty by America by Matthew Desmond. I'm not familiar with that book at all. It just came out on Tuesday, but I haven't seen it anywhere yet. And I just saw, the reason I picked it up is because I saw that he was the author of Evicted, which was a book that I just thought was so interesting. He does this investigative journalism and just makes some great points that I hadn't considered before. And so I saw this, I'm like, oh, I'll give it a try. And it was fantastic. Okay, good to know. I need to add that one to my list. Yeah, it's super quick. My next one is The Last Beekeeper by Julie Carrick Dalton. 
This stellar addition to the fast-growing climate fiction genre is set in the future, approximately 10 years after society collapsed. While most of the world believes that honeybees are extinct, Sasha returns home to find the research her father, nicknamed the last beekeeper, swears exists, research proving that bees are still alive on Earth. With her father in prison, the family home was abandoned, so Sasha finds squatters occupying her old home, individuals anxious to avoid the terrible state housing. As she settles in, the group becomes a refuge for her until she spots a lone honeybee, a sighting that can subject her to derision and potential harm. Toggling back and forth in time and slowly unraveling the mystery at the heart of the story, The Last Beekeeper is a powerful reflection on the importance of caring for our planet and how dependent humans are on the natural world. Interwoven with this disturbing glimpse at what the world could look like without bees is a beautiful story of hope, friendship, and the importance of relationships and community. I'm a huge fan of climate fiction, and one thing that always stands out to me in these type of stories is how the author views the future, how they imagine that our world will look. When I interviewed Julie about the book, she talked about how in her first draft, she had included so much world building, and her editor was like, uh, we need to tone down this a lot, but that it had helped her craft the story, even though she had to delete most of it. It allowed her to focus on the lack of bees and how that would impact the world and what that would look like post-societal implosion. I just loved this one so very much. I highly, highly recommend it. And it's The Last Beekeeper by Julie Carrick Dalton. This is definitely one that I need to get to before the end of the year because you raved about it and I don't think I've seen a negative review for it. It just sounds so unique and like a great one. It'll be in my top reads of the year for sure. It was so compelling. I really liked her last book, so I was excited to read this one, but I had no idea how much it would resonate with me. It's truly a stunning book. Okay, that makes me so excited to pick it up. So now we're to your last one, right? Yes. The last book for me is Those Empty Eyes by Charlie Donnelly. So far, 2023 seems to be the year of the completely bingeable, smart, and layered thriller. And I think that so far this year, from this quarter, this is my favorite thriller. It is the story of an infamous teenage girl who was accused of gunning down her family in the middle of the night and how her life unfolds in the years following the tragedy. I was instantly drawn into the story and the mystery of what really happened on that night. I had absolutely no idea where this book was going to take me, and I was happy to be along for this wild ride. The plot wasn't formulaic at all, so it felt entirely original and fresh. This is a book, again, where I think the less you know, the better, but I want to be sure to mention that topics such as childhood sexual abuse and the Me Too movement could be potentially triggering for some readers. The story strikes a perfect balance between propulsive plot and this tangled web of nuanced characters that we get to know really well. This is a very interesting social commentary on exploitation at the hands of the media, as well as our fascination with true crime stories as a society, just like you had mentioned before. This was my first book by Charlie Donnelly, and I was thrilled to see that he has an extensive backlist of books that I really look forward to binging. That was Those Empty Eyes by Charlie Donnelly. I keep eyeing that book because I keep seeing people post about it. And then every time I read the summary, I'm like, oh, yes, a sexual abuse. I just cannot read about children being sexually abused, so I keep marking it off my list. But I do hear great things about his books. Yeah, I I definitely will go back and read some more. So tell me your last book. My last book is I Love It When You Lie by Kristen Bird. 
Kristen Bird's Clever Mystery stars the Williams sisters, who are preparing to bury their grandmother after her unexpected passing. In the midst of their planning, the women are struggling with their own complicated issues and the messy men in their lives, one of whom they end up putting with their grandmother in her coffin. Told over the period of several days and toggling back and forth between characters and time, the story slowly unfolds as the reader tries to guess who has gone missing and why. I love the premise of not knowing who had died, the Golden Spoon does this as well, and trying to guess as I read who it might be. The characters were witty and their Southern sayings cracked me up. Mix that with unethical and morally gray characters and I was all in. One thing that really appealed to me was how well the sisters got along and cared for each other. They are a really tight-knit group, something you don't often see in mysteries. The Southern setting shines through, and I loved that as well. I Love It When You Lie is carefully and thoughtfully crafted, and I couldn't wait to get to the end to see how it played out. And that is I Love It When You Lie by Kristen Bird. So now we are done. Yes, so many good ones. And I loved like the the ones that we overlapped on, but I feel like our other ones too, we just had a, a lot of variety. It's a great time period for books, and I'm sure it's going to be the same way in April through June. But thank you, as always, Kelly, for coming on. I so appreciate it, and I have added books to my list, and I'm sure the listeners have as well. I have too, and I can't wait to talk with you next time about our upcoming reads. Sounds great. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. I hope you'll tune in next time. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.